2: The strange Familiars True Stories of the Paranormal Cryptids Hauntings The Occult Mythology UFOs Folklore Weird and Forgotten History Please make sure to like and subscribe to Strange Familiars on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you are listening. Please share the Strange Familiars page and episodes on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. And of course, strangefamiliars.com
3: Welcome to Strange Familiars Well, I don't know if anybody caught it, but I had a busy weekend I was on Sasquatch Chronicles on Friday and Coast to Coast AM Friday from 1 AM to 3 AM my time I didn't know both were going to be on the same day I had recorded Sasquatch Chronicles with Wes a little bit earlier, and then Coast to Coast called me and said, do you want to come on Friday? They called me a couple days ahead of time, so I said, yeah. So both ended up being on the same day, but they were different shows. On Coast to Coast, I talked about both of my Bigfoot books and only really got a chance to read a couple excerpts of some of the articles. On Sasquatch Chronicles, Wes and I got into the new book a lot deeper. Speaking of, my new book is Bigfoot West Coast Wildmen. It's on Amazon now. You can get it right now. I will have copies very soon. Hopefully this week. If not, it'll be next week. I know some people are waiting for signed copies to get them directly from me. So I'll have them soon. It's Bigfoot West Coast Wildmen. You can find it on Amazon. It's always great to be on Sasquatch Chronicles. If you didn't catch the show, it's still archived at SasquatchChronicles.com. I believe the show's titled West Coast Men. Like I said, Wes and I got real deep into articles from the new book. And Wes actually promoted Strange Familiars on the Sasquatch Chronicles blog, which is a big help. If you'd like to help out, if you like what we do with Strange Familiars, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. $3 a month gets you extra content. We try to do at least one full episode a month for our patrons. We actually just dropped a patron episode on a ghost train called Ghost Train 1313. But we have other levels there as well. You can go in for other rewards like pins and patches and t-shirts and you name it. You can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars to see all the different reward levels. Of course, I'd like to thank our current patrons. You guys are really making the show happen. So speaking of West Coast wild men, tonight Josh Cutchin and I will get very, very deep into one of the articles from the book. I found this article and I thought, wow, this sounds like a trip into the ferry. And I sent it to Josh and he was pretty blown away by it, so he did the commentary in the book for that particular article and then we decided we were going to do a whole episode of Strange Familiars on it. talking with Joshua Cutchin tonight. Say hi, Josh. Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. One of my favorite podcasts. Happy to have you back. So this is one whole podcast on a single article. Well, mostly on a single article. We're going to talk a little bit about some other stuff, but it's an article I found when researching my new book, which will hopefully be out by the time this podcast is out. If not, it'll be out very soon. It's called Bigfoot West Coast Wild Men. It kind of continues from where the Bigfoot in Pennsylvania book, well, it doesn't continue, but it's more of the same, as, except this explores some early reports from California, Oregon, and Washington State. Before we get into this article, which is, I, I believe your quote was bananas.
4: <laughs> was,
3: was, that sounds about right. <laughs> this is a, it's a really cool, but kind of out there article. I want to address the, the fact that it's, it's a thinner book, this one, than the Bigfoot Pennsylvania book. And I thought going into this, like if you would have asked me going into this, what's going to be the thicker book, I would have thought I would have gotten a book out of each one of those states, Oregon, Washington, and California. But I had to combine the three of them into one book. My thought is that it has to do mainly with the number of newspapers. Pennsylvania had a ton of newspapers Earlier on, so so we're talking about the mid 1800s through the the early 1900s, and Pennsylvania just had more newspapers to report on this stuff, and secondarily, maybe population—just there was more people on the East Coast to see this kind of weird stuff and and therefore report it to the papers. But I don't know. What do you think, Josh?
5: Um, well, I think that's an excellent uh, some excellent points, and it's a lot better than the idea that I had. My original thought, you know, we sort of boil it all down is that if there's an objective reality to the Bigfoot phenomena, you know, I realize that Pennsylvania has its fair share, more than its fair share of cases. It's in the top, what is top five, at least I think. But, I think uh, so, yeah. but it still is not as concentrated a phenomena as it is in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, theoretic- theoretically, newspapers, always report on either noteworthy or outlying phenomena. You know, 100,000 planes landing is, is, is no match for one plane crashing because that's sort of an outlier, which makes it more interesting. So if this is something that's sort of like a part of the culture and a part of people, you know, seeing these things and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's like seeing a bear or something, it might not be as newsworthy in some sense, too.
3: Yeah, and, you know, as with most things, it's probably some combination of all those things, you know.
4: Yeah,
5: Yeah. exactly.
3: So this is uh, just a crazy article I shouldn't say crazy. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty incredible. And worthy enough where Joshua and I discussed it and I, I, I said, you think we could get a whole show out of this? He said, oh, yeah. So, so yeah. what I'm going I'm to do is uh, I had Sarada read it. So we'll just have her read the whole article and everyone can listen. And then you and I will come back and comment on it.
2: Forks of Williamette, Lane County, May 25, 1857 Dear Sir, a most wonderful and thrilling adventure has recently occurred in the southern part of this county. A few weeks since, it appears, a man and a boy started in a quest of some lost cattle, and they had traveled a considerable distance from home when night overtook them far away from any human habitation and building a fire, they lay down to sleep beneath the spreading branches of a stately fir tree. Towards midnight, the boy was awakened by a loud, plaintive cry that appeared to emanate from a human being in distress, not far distant from the spot where he reclined. Springing to his feet with alacrity, and without disturbing his companion, he approached the spot from whence proceeded this to him singularly forlorn outcry. He had not advanced many steps, however, when he observed an object approaching him that appeared like a man twelve or fifteen feet high, of athletic proportions, with glaring eyes, which had the appearance of liquid balls of fire. The monster drew near to the boy, who was unable from fright to move a single step and seizing him by the arm, dragged him forcibly away towards the mountains, over logs, underbrush, swamps, rivers, and land, with a velocity that seemed to our hero like flying. They had traveled in this manner, perhaps an hour and a quarter, when the monster sunk upon the earth, apparently exhausted. Our hero then became aware that this creature was indeed a wild man, whose body was completely covered with shaggy brown hair, about four inches in length. Some of his teeth protruded from his mouth like tusks. His hands were armed with formidable claws instead of fingers, but his feet, singular to relate, appeared natural, being clothed with moccasins similar to those worn by Indians. Our hero had scarcely made these observations when the wild man suddenly started onward as before, never for a moment relaxing his grip on the boy's arm, which had now become painful indeed. They had not proceeded far before they entered an almost impenetrable thicket of logs and undergrowth, when the wild man stopped, reclined upon a log, and gave one shriek, terrific and prolonged. The reverberations of which seemed to continue for the space of five minutes immediately after which the earth opened at their feet as if a trap door ingeniously contrived had just been raised entering at once this subterranean abode by a ladder rudely constructed of hazel brush they proceeded downward perhaps a hundred and fifty or two hundred feet when they reached the bottom of a vast cave, which was brilliantly illuminated with a peculiar phosphorescent light, and water trickled from the sides of the cave in minute jets, the appearance of which was indeed singular. Above, the cave seemed slightly arched, the ceiling apparently composed of seashells of every conceivable shape and color, The bottom was, or appeared to be, thickly strewn with the bones of many kinds of animals, the sight of which impressed our hero with a fearful presentiment of his own impending fate. As our hero thus closely observed the interior of this awful cave, the wild man left him, as if instinctively called away, before partaking of his midnight repast of roasted boy. Presently the huge monster returned by a side door, leading gently by the hand a young and delicate female of almost miraculous grace and beauty, who had doubtless been immured in this dreadful dungeon for years. As they approached their hero, the young lady fell upon her knees, and in some unknown language, in plaintive accents, seemed to plead for the privilege of remaining forever in the cave of the wild man. This singular conduct caused our hero to imagine that the wild man, conscience stricken had resolved to set at liberty his lovely victim by placing her in charge of our hero, whom he evidently captured for that purpose. As this thought passed through the mind of our hero, his ears were greeted with the strains of the most unearthly music which came from the innermost recesses of the cave. The wild man wept piteously as he listened to the sweet voice of the charmer, commingled with the wild music, and sobbing like a child, his handkerchief moist with grief, he raised her very carefully from her recumbent posture, and led her gently away as they had come. A moment afterwards, the damsel returned alone, and advancing towards our hero, with ladylike modesty and grace, placed in his hands a beautifully embossed card, upon which appeared the following words, traced in the most exquisite hand, evidently the lady's own, "'Boy, depart hence forthwith, or remain and be devoured.' Our hero looked up, but the lady had vanished. However, he acted at once upon the hint implied by these words, and commenced retracing his steps towards the ladder of hazel brush, which he shortly reached and commenced the ascent. Upon arriving at the top, his horror may be imagined, when he found the aperture closed. The cold sweat stood on his brow. His frame quivered with mental agony, when after a moment he bethought himself of a small barlow knife, a present from a near relative he carried in his pocket, with which he instantly commenced picking the earth, being careful not to cut too near the spot where the ladder was made fast for fear of precipitating himself to the bottom of the cave. After laboring in this manner a short time, he was rejoiced to see daylight through the earth, and he was not much longer in working a hole large enough through which he was enabled to crawl. Then, having refreshed himself at a clear running brook close by, he wandered he knew not whither. It was midday when he made his escape from the cave, and he traveled that day and night, and the following day, until about half past four o'clock p.m., when he encountered a small party of miners prospecting for gold in the headwaters of South Umpqua River, to whom he told the story of his adventure. They listened in silence, evidently disbelieving every word, but as they could not otherwise account for the presence of our hero in that desolate region, they all said nothing, but gave him to eat and to drink. Our hero reached the house of his father in due time. He related his adventure, the neighbors called in, he told the same story, the circuit preacher called, the story was the same. At first they smiled, then doubted, then believed, and the whole neighborhood are now prepared to make affidavit to the principal facts. The boy is a mild, modest, moral boy, about thirteen years of age, of fair complexion, and has always borne a character for truthfulness. His parents are moral and religious people, and it is hoped that, out of respect to their feelings, the story will not be disbelieved as a general thing. Although many parts of it are truly wonderful.
3: Quite the the article, and that was from eighteen fifty
5: seven. Yeah, I I feel like I could I could write an entire essay on it.
3: Yeah, right. Um, and and well, and in fact, uh, Josh did, I threw it over to him to do guest commentary. So if you get the the West Coast Wildman book, the commentary on that article is Joshua's, but we decided we could get a little bit deeper with it in the podcast format.
5: So let's just break it down from the start. Well, yeah, when you sent it to me, <laughs> me being sort of, you know, a, a, a guy interested in, in fairy lore, um, there are some things that just jumped out in really strong ways and some things that I have more questions about.
3: That, you know, that's, I think that's the thing. Like when I when I first read it, I went, "This is a trip into Ferry. You know, oh, and yeah. I don't know it that you know as as deeply as you do, but I went. That's what this is.
5: Like this is is nothing but
3: you know, and that's one hundred percent.
5: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, hundred percent, cut and dry. I mean, so I mean, so some people will say this is probably confirmation bias coming through, but I really have to admit that there are more similarities between fairy lore and Sasquatch lore than most people realize. And I know I'm not saying that Sasquatch is a fairy or that, you know, the sort of Bigfoot phenomena is, is the same thing, but like, it's a pretty substantial list. I mean, if you look at, you know, sounds of crying in the forest and, uh, you know, stealing, stealing different foodstuffs and, you know, one of the most convincing aspects of the phenomena, you know, the braiding of horses' manes, all these have been attributed to both Sasquatch and fairies. And I don't think a lot of people in the well actually honestly in either of the communities really realize it. i think that you know the fairy people would probably just smirk and say yeah of course and the sasquatch people would definitely take issue with it but you know i, I like to sit in the middle of those two of that venn diagram and just say i'm just saying, hey, guys i'm just saying if you look at it it's pretty, yeah. pretty objective yeah and
3: i think most people who listen to this podcast realize that you know when we talk about fairies they're not tinkerbell these are you know folkloric beings from celtic lore and they they varied from little people Two big hairy, you know, they had in stories of big hairy
5: guys, you know, the Wadwos and and uh, mm-hmm. Green Man in a sense, and and well, and and, and uh, something that you know something that's interesting is I see some I see some hallmarks of between this and some uh, specifically Scottish stories, and what's interesting about that is one of the uh, one of the solitary Scottish fairies was the Gillie um which used to be was to roam the woods all alone covered in detritus and it has sort of a Sasquatchy kind of countenance. Um, That's where the, we get the, the ghillie suit name from, right? From, yeah, you get it from, not only do you get it from the ghillie do, but uh, the Australian special forces actually have drawn this connection between what ghillie suits look like in Bigfoot and the Australian special forces call them Yowie suits. So here you have the same article of clothing named after a fairy and after Bigfoot. basically. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this fellow that, 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 that takes this kid, I mean, he sort of does fit that description. So, no. so the story starts with this, they, this. First of all, they go out into the wilderness.
3: Right. So they're, go- they're going out. They're looking for lost cattle, which is mm-hmm. something <laughs> right there. Right. And they're often in, into the woods, and the boy's awoken from sleep by a, a cry. So here we have the,
5: the loud plain of cry in the wilderness. Right, and, and you'll find examples of that and variations on that in fairy lore. Usually it's a little bit more specific in fairy lore. It's the calling of a name or something, but you will find uh, there, are, uh, there is no shortage of fairy anecdotes comparing the cry of fairies to the sounds of babies crying, which is one of those things that runs the gamut of 14 phenomena from animals, yeah. black cats to UFOs and hauntings and ghosts and, of course, Sasquatch. Yeah, not, not only that, but there are cases of Sasquatch
3: calling people's names. Uh, true. yeah exactly and pet, pet names more often, but
5: sometimes you get people names too oh that's see now i've got to, i've gotta sort of walk a line here because part of part of my next book is is sort of engaging with these sasquatch fairy parallels a little bit more so i I'll, <laughs> I'll try I'll try to walk the line but uh the height is interesting I mean twelve or fifteen feet high is excessively high even and I mean that's that's that, that would be in sort of the uh mark Hall true giant sort of character category wouldn't it
3: yeah yeah, so so yeah, the the boy stands up, he goes looking for whatever made this crying noise in the wilderness, presumably in the woods. Thank you for keeping the plot. I'm so
5: enthusiastic I'm just going right through, so
3: <laughs> And uh, he sees something which he first thought was a man, and he said it was between 12 and 15 feet high, athletic proportions, and of course, it had glowing eyes, right. The, the appearance of liquid balls of fire, it says in the, in the
5: article. And, you know, here's where we jump in again. Of course, things that appear like glowing eyes are not necessarily anomalous lights in the woods, but having said that, you know, it takes little imagination to imagine someone catching one or, you know, or both of them moving in a certain way where they just looked like what would be called in the British Isles, fairy lights, which are seen around areas that are said to have, you know, this, especially fairy mounds and fairy forts have that sort of extra activity. Oh, yeah.
3: And then uh, numerous entities. uh, It seems like almost all of these cryptid entities, and I'm sure you have fairy reports with it as well, but I'm trying to think of a cryptid entity that hasn't been reported at least once with with glowing eyes of some sort.
5: Off the top of my head, there's not a lot of it in fairy lore, but I'm sure there is a specific example perhaps, of, of, of a singular solitary fairy, as I was referring to the Gilly-Doo as being a solitary fairy, that has a similar countenance. I mean, it's almost a guarantee.
3: Right, yeah. The, the monster grabbed the kid and uh, took him very rapidly through the forest,
5: over logs, through the swamps, they said. And... but uh, it's An interesting note that I think further separates this from straight-ahead Bigfoot stories are the, is the detail of the moccasins. Yeah, when he sits down, he says he
3: sees moccasins. Now, if if I was uh, going to be like arguing this as a strict ape in the woods guy, which this case would be hard to argue. <laughs> this this one's a, th- would be a difficult yeah. one to-, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> to do the uh as I say the Rube Goldberg uh sort of uh devices of of well, th- if this happened then this then this and it, see it could have been a natural creature because but if I was going to argue that I'd say maybe if he's looking at the bottom of the feet they're reported as having dog-like pads. So often, maybe he thought he was looking at moccasins, but that's the only way I could write that one off. Yeah, uh,
5: it's it's a, it's a little it's a little bit more of a, of a uh, of a reach. Yes,
3: yeah, it is. The one thing he says uh, is that he was wearing moccasins. He doesn't mention any other clothes. Uh, he does mention that he was covered in hair.
5: Right. Oh. The, the detail of him carrying him swiftly through the woods I mean that's well let's just go back let's let's take this a step back I mean you know the 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 fact that it was just the child who was abducted is also a you know a, a big part of fair lore. I believe at the end of the article they mentioned that he's of fair countenance which is also something you see where the fairies generally wouldn't take children with a dark complexion or dark hair they will the fair-haired Lightly complexioned children, which probably has some sort of racist, <laughs> racist, or, or you know, some sort of uh, bias undertone. But uh, it's interesting to see that that paralleled here. A yeah. boy, you know, again, fairies didn't often want to take females. In fact, I could probably count on one hand the number of stories that you'll find of, of a female being taken. Interesting. Um, That's really. That, interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I would have thought it would be the other way around. Honestly, it's. Interesting well you know if you're looking at the, if you're looking at the UFO thing it's interesting because that gets turned on its head like most I uh, think think the data skews in favor of women nowadays, but yeah you'd think because the interesting thing is that the fairies would want uh, you know children to help sort of uh, you know uh, elevate their ranks as sort of breeding stock and you would think that maybe you'd, you'd get a a woman for you know you know to, to breed with and a man i don't know why, but that just seems like you know a mother to take care of children it seems like that's a little bit more logical but uh, there are very very few cases of children who are well children who are made into changelings especially and you'll find some others i mean there's some there's some girls who are really some some girls who are at that sort of boundary of being children and being young adults that are taken uh male adult women are taken quite often but as in terms of in terms of youth it's almost exclusively boys
3: yeah as a as a folk song guy now i'm thinking like there's tamlin and that was a mm-hmm. that was a male and then there's another one too i'm thinking and of course, there's uh, Ranardine, but he he himself may have. I don't think he was taken. I think he was some sort of other, uh, as he was.
4: <laughs> and the fellow you know, turned into
5: a fox for people who don't know. What <laughs> one of the earliest, um, one of the earliest and only stories of a girl, a young a young girl taken um, by the fairies, is uh, I believe it was Ralph of Coggeshall in his uh, early text from. I think the 1500s or something along those lines, or maybe earlier. On this is all escaping me, but it's the tale of a young girl named Malakin who was perceived as a voice uh, that interacted with people coming from the walls of this particular castle, and she claimed that she was away with the fairies for seven years. But again, that sounds <laughs> as uh, as I'm wont to do, looking at things through another different another different uh, lens. That sounds like a poltergeist as much mm-hmm. as it does a. You know, child taken by the fairies. Yeah, very much. So
3: let, let me take a step back to the moccasins for a second. And I will say, and again, I would have thought this would have been more the case in the Pennsylvania book. I found more stories of these wild men out there wearing clothes, wearing moccasins. This is in California, Oregon, and Washington when I say out there. So uh, for this book, wearing clothes, wearing moccasins, or carrying rusty muskets unfunctional rusty muskets they would they would be carrying otherwise you know covered in hair you know giant you know seven feet tall but carrying like you know a rusty musket that that was non-functional in in one case i believe the 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 creature even pointed it and tried to and pulled the trigger and it didn't fire at the fellow i found more of those reports which you do get you know occasional reports even today of of creatures and clothing and stuff but I would have thought I'd find more of those in Pennsylvania. Honestly, I, I found quite a few of them on the West coast.
5: Very strange. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of overlap in the areas with those and more modern tales of, you know, Sasquatch wearing red flannel, <laughs> see, you know, right. Wandering through the woods or whatever.
3: Yes. And the red flannel thing that gets, I've gotten just because we've been talking about it with the flannel man guy on the podcast. I keep getting contacted by people who don't even know that's a thing please people keep the flannel man stories coming in I might end up writing a book on it because it's really interesting the amount of people who are contacting me and like, I didn't know that was a thing. I saw this guy, you know, he, he walked into my house or my brother told me, you know, he walked into his bedroom and so forth. So I'm getting these stories. So the red flannel thing is, is really interesting. And if, if there are reports of Sasquatch, which there are, I mean, I've seen reports of Sasquatch wearing red flannel too. It's like, what's going on with that? So bizarre. So, uh, okay, we're back to our story. They continue onward. The the creature picks him up again and carries him further. This is after resting for a moment. That's when the boy supposedly notices the the moccasins on his feet. And they end up going through this other thicket. The creature stops and gives a shriek. I'm looking at the article. It "It seems to continue for the space of five minutes. So a, a, a prolonged
5: shriek, and then the earth opens up. Right. Uh, so where do, where do we begin with this? I don't know of any, um, I don't know of any real antecedents to a shriek opening a door to fairyland and why that's fairyland we'll get to in a moment. But I think it's interesting. Um, if you look at, I'm probably going to lose some people here on this, but if you look at the psychedelic experience and a lot of the things people experience in that state, time dilation, certain, uh, auditory cues seeing short entities that sometimes, you know, take them apart, put them back together, short entities and impart knowledge. All these things, uh, are, of course, are not only shared by the UFO phenomena, but also by the fairy phenomena. So it's interesting to me that there's this auditory cue of this high-pitched shriek, which, you know, one wonders if that has some sort of antecedent in the psychedelic, you know, buzzing sound that some people experience at the onset of one of those, of one of those uh, psychedelic trips. Now, of course, to bring everybody up to speed, there's a certain line of thinking that a lot of anomalous or at least you know events that are perceived as paranormal might be attributed to some sort of internal compound in our human brains usually people claim it could possibly be dimethyltryptamine um, which are hallucinogenic hallucinogenic substances that actually put the user into an altered state of consciousness whether that means that people are actually interacting with something objective outside of themselves, or they're you know just you know hallucinating, as as simplistic as that term might be, um, is meant to be seen. So if if you see me talking about altered states and about, um, you know, the psychedelic experience, that's where that line of thought is coming from. So again, this idea of the the shriek sort of opening up this doorway into the ground, I think has some significance, especially because it went on as long as it did. But then the real damning thing that makes this a fairy, you know, a story that's evocative of of a journey into into the fairyland is because fairyland was almost... Exclusively found underground. The shorthand historical reason for this is because um, a lot of fairy mounds, fairy, fairy mounds, fairies lived in areas that are um, uh, burial mounds from early Christian or even Neolithic peoples. And also these people who uh, tended to build these structures also built fairy forts, what are known now as fairy forts. And they would also have what are called souterrains, which are actually tunnels and or storing spaces underground where one could perhaps flee or or store food or even uh, hide in the case of the siege. So that's why you have this motif of, of fairyland being some sort of passageway underground. And you find that in a lot of the fairy lore as well. So again, the opening up of this door in the ground is not insignificant. Uh, now, a fairy fort,
3: they're generally like just copses of like a copse of trees or a hill
5: or or, or something, something that's been designated. Um. um, Yeah, shapes and sizes. I mean, it's I mean, really, what you're looking at is you're looking at a, a, a various types of um, structures. Some probably, I mean, some, some are very rudimentary. It's just like a, a mound of dirt. Um, sometimes it's a mound of dirt topped with trees. Sometimes it's, you know, in that sense, it's a burial mound. Sometimes there are these circular stone forts that are known as ring forts. Depending on the region, I'm mostly speaking of Ireland right now, but depending on the region, um, these were either attributed to early man or fairies or, you know, early man and fairies. But then you'll also find these sort of earthen ring forts, which are generally a mound in the center ditch, and then a higher fortification uh, around that particular spot. So they really do come in all shapes and sizes, but you know, if you know what to look for, it's, it, it gets, it's a lot easier to, uh to, to put your finger on it. So
3: as they enter this in almost impenetrable thicket of logs and undergrowth, we could be talking fairy fort there as well.
5: Uh, Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's it, it, you think of generally like a, a sort of copse of trees as being a place where fairies would hang out. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> All right. So now they go underground and there is a point made that it is a ladder constructed of hazel. That I think is very important. Hazel being a very important tree in uh, sacred lore in Celtic, I believe. I know the Norse, it was a tree of uh, wisdom, I believe. For the Norse, and and the Celtic, it is in their other world, I believe, right?
5: Uh, yeah, and, and you'll find um, various references. I mean, there's a 17th century text that provided an ointment uh, for seeing the fairy folk that included uh, hollyhock, marigold, and, and hazel buds as well. I'm not as certain on the aspect of, of the world tree. I think I've I might have heard some other different uh, some other different possible trees attributed to that in Oh more, yeah in no more...
3: it be, the U was the world tree but it, it was it was a I believe it was considered a tree of wisdom to got it of... okay
5: mm-hmm. um yeah and, and Hazel was was important to the sort of origin story of you know uh, Finn McCool in, in uh, sort of Irish uh, cosmology and also well
3: thank know. goodness you mentioned Finn McCool who <laughs> was a giant <laughs> because you know they say if you don't mention if someone doesn't mention finn mccool once a day the world comes to an end oh yeah. see i didn't know that nice oh no, you didn't <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah that's uh i believe it's in one of those uh, robin williamson stories there was a time when my son was young we would listen to those robin williamson storytelling cds a lot and every day he'd just come up and say hey dad finn mccool
0: <laughs> Nice.
5: All right, nice. nice. Yeah, well, now, now i'm gonna take on that responsibility yes um, but even on even on the uh, even on the mainland, I think there were some places like Germany that that felt that you could ward off snakes just by having you know a, a hazel branch. Which you'll find similar woods in fairy lore and Celtic fairy lore uh, are attributed to, to ward off both uh, snakes and and fairies as well. Mm-hmm. It's a sacred tree, basically hazel. So it's very important part of the story,
3: which you know they just they mention offhandedly. Here's this ladder that they're climbing into the, into this subterranean world with that's made out of hazel. It's no small detail, I, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned.
5: Yeah, I, I didn't get all these into my, <laughs> into my analysis. So if you want to do a little editor's commenter here, there, that's fine by me. <laughs> I'm all about being uh, exhaustive, that's for sure.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket?
3: Uh, So they descend 150 or 200 feet underground, which is uh, quite a distance to to climb. Yeah. (laughs) And they are in a, they said it's a vast cave, which is
5: illuminated with a peculiar phosphorescent light, which is extremely common for the way that fairyland is described. Fairyland is not literally um, another sort of, uh, you know, a mirror image of of Earth with its own fields and forests and whatnot, it is most certainly just sort of this uh, cavernous dwelling place. And in those stories where uh, you know Fairyland or, or the Giants' Lair or whatever these you know the, this, this 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 fairy uh, captor resides, they're almost always explained with with uh, this light that emits from from somewhere that can't be pinpointed. Which is, you know, again, not to bang that drum too much, but it's the same thing you hear about in alien abduction reports a lot. So the room was illuminated, but you couldn't see the source. Right.
3: The ceiling was apparently composed of seashells of every conceivable shape and color. Now, I wonder if that was uh, literally or if that was just his conception of what, you know, he, he thought maybe
5: it must have been seashells. I wonder... I mean, if I think of again, got to be aware of not making sure we don't draw too, too long of a bow, as they'd say in Australia about this. Um, I wonder if if you could reinterpret that as possibly trying to describe this sort of bejeweled dome surface that a lot of people run into in, you know, in the DMT experience, which also sort of tie into that as well. I don't think it's a far stretch. I mean, there there are just so many
3: parallels to all this stuff that it becomes. It becomes impossible not to draw the 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 lines between them. I think it's. It, I'm stumbling yeah. over my words because it just you know sometimes it's just so. It seems so obvious in some ways, and then in other ways, it's it's so exciting. I think to find this stuff. I, I mean, I I know you get as excited as I do.
5: It's like oh look at this. It's you know it's just like, yeah. that, just like that, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Well, uh, part of the reason I think it's exciting is because, you know, interdis- interdisciplinary studies in a lot of different fields are sort of a lost arc. And that's the thing that, you know, talk about something that'll that'll take a long time for AI to sort of catch on to. It's this this sort of comparative study of different things that seem like they'd be vastly, you know, separated.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And And I think there are people, not just us, there are other people that are starting to make these connections, though, and go, hey, wait a minute. Like it seems like we're talking about the same thing here, and maybe we are, maybe we're not, but we at least have to note the similarities.
5: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not, I, sometimes I wonder if fairy lore isn't just a, a an antiquated way of saying the paranormal. You know,
3: I think so. I, I mean, for me, just because of all these these things that just seem to fit, they they just seem to fit so well. It it almost seems like well, and again, a fairy. It's it's like the Nordic troll. When people when you say troll now, people think of one specific. They think of a giant, ugly, you know, troll like thing. But or the guys with the
5: or the, uh, the guys with the pink and, and
3: blue hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, there There you go. Troll to, to the Norse in the old days was, was this kind of catch all spirit idea. So if you know a troll could have been anything from it was it was like a like a fae basically. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It could have been any, any kind of creature kind of other type creature. So it seems this beautiful cave is strewn on the bottom with all kinds of
5: bones. And that's something that I wasn't able to, to off the top of my head with my limited, <laughs> my limited awareness of the literature um, wasn't able to draw a comparison to. Although, I mean, you can find comparisons in fairy like stories. Most of the time when I say I can't draw a comparison, I'm, tr- I'm usually thinking about the Celtic the tradition, but you know, invariably the, the the floors of like you said you know Scandinavian trolls would be strewn with the bloods with the bloods with the bones of of victims so that's not that that much of an outlier for me either.
3: hmm And it could represent here almost as uh you know stepping into the afterlife kind of thing too if if uh yeah out. that's a good point. Yeah. So the the monster leaves the kid in this big cave room and Returns, leading someone by the hand, this delicate female.
5: Yeah, this is the weirdest part by far for me. But I love it. Oh, it's great.
4: Yeah,
3: I, I mean, it's just so such a strange touch. And if, okay, let's say you're making up a story. You're you're gonna make up a story that you're you were kidnapped by a monster. At what point, when you're making up, do you like? I'm gonna just throw this
5: crazy side story of this beautiful woman in here. You know, it's the old 14 argument of, you know, if you're going to make up a story that's crazy, you would make it a lot crazier than some of these stories are.
3: Yeah. The young lady, the the monster leads her in. She falls on her knees and in some unknown language, in plaintive accents, seems to plead for the privilege of remaining forever in the cave of the wild
5: man. Yeah. Which, I mean, it was um, a widely regarded belief that you never wanted to partake of, of food or drink in Fairyland. And, and there are numerous reasons why this, uh, why this was the case. But one of the reasons that was claimed is because you know, you'd know f- you be forever reminded of your time in Fairyland and basically either live out your days um, sort of pining for, for, for Fairyland or driven m- mad by the f- idea that you couldn't go back. So the idea that she's pleading to stay is, again, <laughs> really, really resonant with, with a lot of that old fairy lore. And he's getting this, I guess, from her
3: actions more than, because he's saying she's speaking in, a, in an unknown language,
5: which is... Uh, that's, what, that's what I'd have to infer, too. Yeah, yeah. no, I had two thoughts at, at first, because when I first saw, her, saw there was this lovely woman, I, my first thought was, you know, perhaps this is you know, the queen of the fairies. Something uh, is a very common motif that you'll find, is that there are stories where fairies are seen as these short little... Often ugly, sort of diminutive creatures, but they're presided over by a taller, human-sized queen of the fairies, uh, who you know is often quite beautiful. And uh, again, to sort of draw that alien abduction parallel, you'll hear the similar things in alien abduction stories that they're these shorter greys being supervised by a taller grey alien.
4: Yeah,
3: um, I never got to see that. I only got to see. The <laughs> <of the bird. laughs>
5: uh, yeah, it would have been nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. But, the, but as, as, as it quickly emerges, like, with not only her, again, I guess her pleas, her plaintive accents, that uh, she was actually a captive, which, again, as we, can, as we continue on through this story, has some, has some real resonance with, with Fairyland as well.
3: This singular conduct calls our hero to imagine that the wild man, conscious stricken, had resolved to set at liberty his li- lovely victim by placing her in charge of our hero, whom he evidently captured for that purpose. So the kid at least thinks that he's there to take her away she's pleading don't take me away
5: which is an, a really odd detail that again off the top of my head doesn't have any real resonance with 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 fairy lore but it's it is a very peculiar peculiar detail so my mind is going to the osman
3: story right now right where he felt and okay let me take a step back not everyone's going to know osman so osman was a fellow who claimed to have been kidnapped by a Bigfoot creature in the, was it in the 20s? Um, uh, I think so. That sounds about right. Yeah, and uh, taken to a cave and kept there for several days, I think. He gave some really, really interesting observations, really detailed observations, which seemed to jive with, with other people's reports, which are really interesting. But without knowing their language, without uh, he, he did say they, they spoke in what he called a, a chatter, um, which, again, you hear from from others over and over again. But without being able to understand them, he thought he was brought there as a mate for the young female Sasquatch of the family. I don't know how he got that idea, but that, that was one of the, the ideas that, that he had. That's why he thought he was being kept there. He eventually escaped and told his story years later. It became a very, very famous case. I'm sure some people are familiar with it. But again, without knowing the language, he felt he was there to be a mate for the young female Sasquatch. That's where my mind went with this. I, th- I felt like this boy's being brought here. It has at least some parallels with that story.
5: Uh, so you're, you're thinking the mating angle, which is what I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. Possibly.
3: I mean, it, it just brought that to mind. And, and maybe it's just because the similarities of being like Osman talks about being he was in a sleeping bag. So he's picked up in his sleeping bag, but he talks about being carried for hours as well. You know, the the creature carries him away for hours. That part is very similar. And as I was first reading this, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be in a very, you know, Osman like story. It it ended up being very, very different in many ways, but it does have its parallels. And that's what kind of was my thought. I, it just, because it, it had those similarities. Like all of a sudden he's taken to this place and then this young woman is presented to him. I thought, you know, is, is this, uh, was he brought there unbeknownst to him as a, as a mate um, and maybe not a sexual mate, maybe a companion mate, uh, for this other presumably human or at least human looking young woman.
5: No, I think it's a valid inference to at least notice, you know, to, to notice the similarities between those two. Absolutely.
3: But that doesn't seem to be the case. But, well, before she leaves, there is the unearthly music, which yes uh, is described as beautiful music, I believe.
5: Yeah, and open up, open up a book of fairy abductions and stab your finger into the pages, and you'll you'll find people lured away. Usually, it's usually it's a lure. Um, usually, it's a lure uh, to bring people into the forest. So in this case, it doesn't have that exact same quality. Uh, yeah, but the, the presence of this sort of indescribable, it's a big point, this indescribable music is, is, a, is a huge significant factor.
3: And the wild man, the creature, starts weeping. That, that is a beautiful detail. I don't know why, I just find that so touching. He's weeping at the sound of the music.
5: Yeah, it, this is definitely one of the more humanized Bigfoot accounts that I've seen. From this, well, I mean, I I guess, well, that's not entirely true because you have plenty of them in in your Pennsylvania book about fires and uh, sometimes clothing and you know some other stuff as well. But like, this seems like an extra level of of humanity that you wouldn't wouldn't expect in a Sasquatch tale.
3: Yeah, there's because there's emotion there for whatever reason. He's he's crying at the sound of this music. He raises the lady carefully from her recumbent posture. I love the the old language in these articles. I love Mm -hmm. it so much. It's just. And uh, leads her away. So, okay, she doesn't walk away. The, the, the creature leads her away. And then she returns. She comes to him, and I love this. I'm actually going to make up cards uh, with this on it. She hands him a card. So she didn't speak his language, but she hands him a card that is, has traced in the most exquisite hand. It's an embossed card, beautifully embossed card, upon which the following words are traced in the most exquisite hand boy depart hence forthwith or remain and be devoured that is incredible i'm making cards up with that on it
5: (laughs) that'd be great that'd be awesome yeah Yeah, yeah. definitely send one to me (laughs) yeah i now what do you make of that so this is something that i don't think a lot of people catch up or catch on to but invariably in stories where people are warned especially if i'm not eating the food or drinking fairyland uh, the way that the narrative unfolds is that they'll be walking home one evening and they'll be invited or taken by the fairies to fairyland um and once inside this this extra space uh, not only will they see the fairies eating and drinking there but they'll often see um, what they recognize as a relative or an acquaintance or even a family member uh, who has passed away and in these stories, just as the protagonist is about to uh, partake of the fairy food or the fairy drink, um, this, this person that was previously in their life before they passed away says to them, you know, don't eat, don't drink, or you'll be doomed to stay here forever. And then in that case, um, they usually escape by one means or another. Um, it's interesting in this case because, I mean, she's obviously, you know, a captive, just like in that sort of motif. She's obviously not one of the, you know, not one of her captor's people, and she also, uh, you know, finds a way, a moment to steal away from the captor and to deliver this warning about being, in this case, uh, devoured. But you know, that's the, sort of the same in effect as being trapped in one place forever, and this, mm-hmm. this 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 encouragement to leave as soon as you can. So that was that was one of the more striking, one of the more striking connections to me in in this particular uh, story.
3: And that idea was my wife's, by the way, I'm reading her this report and she's like, Oh, we have to make those cards. We have to make <laughs> That'd be <them>. great. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we're going to have to do that. So at some point, uh, when I get a, get a minute here, i I'm going to make some of those up. So the lady vanishes. He doesn't say whether she, you know, steps through a door or just disappears or whatever he said. he Right. Uh, <laughs> and at this point, like, who knows, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. She could have been a burst of spo- smoke. It could have been a, a, um, Star Trek uh, transportation beam. As, you know, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. And he climbs the ladder.
5: Uh, not, not, only, not only does he climb his climb the ladder. Um, but, Oh, sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, no, no, go ahead. Okay, so not only does he climb the ladder, but uh, he uses it. I mean, he has uses his own own knife to pry open the uh, the entrance. Uh, uh, yes. Again, I'm. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there are stories uh, about how um, fairies were repelled by, you know, iron, cold iron, as you so uh, accurately titled one of your podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a Scottish story of a father, which I think you covered here as well, or at least you sent to me at some point. It was in the second iron episode, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. So where the, uh, the Scottish father actually secures open... The door to Fairyland by jabbing his knife into the threshold of the uh, of the fairy mound. So uh, again, it's it's another another connection here where a door is in this case open instead of being kept open. It's actually open by using. A knife. So, with this, alongside the similarities between you know just the Bigfoot similarities to gilly Do, makes me wonder. I would I would love to know the name of these people and and the heritage of these people. If if they were you know if this was a first generation Scottish family that sort of brought a lot of these motifs with them, either you know in terms of the phenomena presenting itself to these people that way, or in terms of you know them actually fabricating a story. Either way, I think it's interesting and significant.
3: Right? Yeah. They mentioned that the knife was a present from a near relative. I wonder if that is uh, important in any way. I'm, I mean, I'm I am sure at some point, you know, I, there must be some folklore somewhere that if if a knife, I know often if you, you're supposed to name your knife, supposed to use knives that weren't used before, sometimes you, you you're supposed to use things that are gifts. So I'm sure there's some bit of folklore somewhere that relates to that, that it being a gift from a relative
5: is important in some way. Well, that's one of the most frustrating things about being into folklore is you are like, I'm sure that they're, you know, this, this feels, you know, folklore-y, yeah. but, um, but, uh, it's, it's, you know, but it's sometimes it's frustrating for you can't put your, can't put your finger right on it. So he, he's able to, to, uh,
3: use the knife and dig his way out as he, so after he climbs back up and he escapes, doesn't know where he is particularly. Of course, and of course there's a, a running brook close by. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. He, so he travels a day and a night, and the following day in, into the evening, he finally encounters a small party of miners on the South Umpqua River. And right. I, hopefully I pronounced that right. I'm, I, I have confidence that Serata did if I didn't. So then you know he he's uh, at some point taken home, and he relates the story, and they they say everyone's doubtful at first, but he tells the same story again and again, and uh, say he he has always borne a character for truthfulness, so that's that's the the story is given to the paper
5: and i don't know i mean like i, I honestly I don't know if there is another story out there that is so. It's such a marriage of Sasquatch lore and and fairy lore. Like you, you really outdid yourself when you found this one. The way I do these, research these articles. Okay,
3: I'll give people a little insight into this. And I'm addicted to doing this. I, I was uh, made a big display of saying like I'm I'm taking a break after this West Coast book. I, and I, I, yeah, I did. I took a break for about a week, and I, I found myself kind of aching to get back in, into it again. And uh, I jumped right back in and started finding more articles. So, and in fact, I found I found one for California that that didn't make it into the book. It's killing me because it's, it's a really good one. But, uh, but more, here, on I think that. we
5: I think we both suffer. I was yeah. just going to say, I think we both suffer from the completest.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm I'm such a completest. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's painful. I I have uh, I found about four or five uh, Pennsylvania ones that are really good since that one. And it just kills me it's like, ah, but I think I'll do a, at some point I'll do like a leftovers book that just collects all the stuff I found, you know, s- since, since publishing uh, the other books.
5: Yeah. Just bits and pieces of, of Sasquatch Ephemera. But, but anyway, the the way I
3: do this is I'll, I go through it and I, and I just read briefly. I just, I just scan through, I make sure they're not talking about a human like i said about 20 to 1 usually I'll, I'll go through 20 articles that are definitely talking about humans i'll know this either because of language or because of uh usually because they end up capturing them and uh that immediately sets off alarms it's very rarely i'll find one where they say they capture it and it's covered with hair and it, it doesn't speak and and right. like, that. but, but for the most part, if they capture it, if it's sent to the almshouse, if it's sent, you know, to, to an insane asylum, it's obviously not, not a creature. And I'll, I'll go through about 20 of those before I find one. And, and I'm, I scan a bunch, I just scan through, okay, this seems like it's a creature and, and I, I put it aside and I don't really read them in detail until I start compiling things. So I, I had clipped this, I don't know how long before I had, I had sent it to you and I'm really putting the book together at this point and I'm reading through it, you know, in more detail to make sure as I put the books together, I read through them in, in great detail. And then I, then I, you know, make sure it fits and then I'll, I'll, write a commentary on it. So I, I'm reading through this one and it knocked me on my butt. I was just like, what in the heck is this? Cause I, I think I probably read to the point in the beginning of the article where it had, you know, it was 12 feet high covered in hair and had fiery eyes. And I went, okay, big right. foot. Yeah. Bigfoot and and just put it aside so I go back to read this and I was like wow and I knew it's like I knew just enough and I think I when I sent you I was like well, this is a trip to ferry that's what this is I want you to do the commentary on this but it was a knockout I mean what a it's a strange article and if you're an ape in the woods guy you probably hate it <laughs> this is the kind of article right. that, that that you you absolutely hate but if you're a person Which, who Enjoys like the, just the weirder elements of this and these, uh, like you said, these kind of uh, cross
5: interdisciplinary
3: cross, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, this kind of interdisciplinary study. It's it's incredible and and what a treasure to find this.
5: I am just again i just struck by how bizarre it is and uh, it's it's definitely unique and 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 just because you know just because we say that the you know flesh and blood Bigfooters doesn't like it we're not saying it's true, Um, but at the same time, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, if you want to point to historical Bigfoot, uh, you know, articles in various newspapers, you have to stop for a moment to consider this. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and at least consider uh, if it's a story that they made up. And like you said, maybe they were a Scottish family, you know, first generation and they just had this kind of lore as, as part of their family and part of their folklore and they just knew it. And so this wild man Bigfoot story turns into this, this fairy story. That's absolutely possible. But if not, and we don't know that we don't, there's no, there's no name is given. I can't do any more research on, on who this boy was, but if not, then it becomes this really, really interesting statement of, of like, why are there so many elements in this, ostensibly Bigfoot story that seemed to match up with uh, a trip into the ferry.
5: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, it makes you wonder if there might be some other similar stories just out there, you know, in the ether that we can, that, that might, be, might be found someday. I, I,
3: rem- I came across a story, and I believe it was later, so it's not my book. Um, public Domain cuts off in 1922. It gets very complex without hiring a lawyer, which I can't afford to do. Uh, You you can't be sure uh, what articles you're you're allowed to just reprint. Now, you can retell them. And at some point, I'll get around to doing that too, (laughs) at least for Pennsylvania. But uh, I I don't think I can do every state on that. But anyway, there is a later story of a fellow in Washington State who talks about going underground into a glittery cave and seeing multiple creatures, I believe he goes into this cave and again, I believe it's like a glittering cave and he sees uh, the red eyes and stuff. It's a really interesting story, but that, that I believe was from Washington state too. And I believe that was a little later on, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. has these similar elements to to the story.
5: Yeah. I guess that's what I was sort of getting at earlier is that you will, Find some, you know, some little connections here and there in Bigfoot lore. You don't normally hit the jackpot like this, where there are about fifteen different things that uh, that resonate. I didn't pick up on the knife, and when you did that,
3: it, like my mind went right to that story. And again, we uh, we t- I believe it was in the uh, the blacksmith episode. Yeah, which uh, is which is it's and
5: it's a very it's a, it's a story that you find you know uh, variations on repeated quite frequently.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and, and I just, you know, I don't know why I didn't go right there with the knife, but as soon as you said that, I was, oh yeah, that's exactly like that's what the uh the father's going to retrieve his son, right? I believe.
5: And yes. And he it brings him with a a Bible and a cock and a dagger. Yep. A dirk, a dirk actually. Yeah, and he, he stabs
3: the, <laughs> the knife in the in the doorway to, to Fairyland, and that's how he's he keeps it open.
5: Yeah, I, I think that he brings the Bible as protection the knife to keep the mound open and the cock basically crows at the fairies until they release his son.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And again, if you, if you all want to hear that story, go back and check out our, our
5: iron and the supernatural episodes. I believe it's in the second one, but that sounds that sounds right because it's, it's in the story. The, uh, the fae actually took the child uh, to become a blacksmith. And like one of the few examples where, you know, the, Fairies themselves are into iron, you know. I mean yeah. of course, dwarves dwarves were metal workers in, in Germanic lore, but in terms of Celtic fairy lore, you don't find that very often.
3: Yeah, and that's that's where we got the difference. The the cold iron is is uh iron worked by the hands of man versus uh I guess they could work their own iron. Right. <laughs> All right, Josh, so uh your when's your new book
5: coming? Uh, that's a great question. It has been sent off to Anomalist. Uh, I'm sending in the, uh, the contract in the next 48 hours. What's, um, what's the title of the new book? Well, it's not official yet, but it's tentatively titled um, Thieves in the Night. Um, okay. which is, uh, it's, it's going to be about, uh, or it is about, I should say, uh, paranormal child abduction from the fairy faith all through the UFO era it, uh, it goes into a lot of this different stuff. There is a Sasquatch, uh, chapter in there as well, which I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm itching to throw this article into. Um, <laughs> but it should be coming out. Uh, there are three books ahead of me in the anomalous publishing schedule for 2018. So I'm banking on probably smart money is, is late spring, early summer.
3: Awesome. And that's a anomalous, uh, Books or is it Anomalous yes. Books or Anomalous Press?
5: I forget. Anom- Anom- anomalous Books. Anomalous Books. And they also, they also carry my other two books, um, A Trojan Feast, The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch, and The Brimstone Deceit, which is all about uh, smells and supernatural experiences. And people can find you at? JoshuaCutcheon.com, where I do blog. I'm trying to blog a little bit more now, now that this book is, uh, is off my plate. And, and it's, uh, it's really hard
3: to do anything else when you're writing a book. Like, well, it's
5: so hard. And I'm, I'm not enamored with with uh, with short form anyway because I, I feel like I want to go so much more into in-depth. But uh, so, so you know, it's not ever, ever just a short blog post. It's usually, you know, <laughs> a blog post that's almost like a chapter in a book. So there you can find me at com, which has links to my books and my interviews and uh, some of my music. And uh, you can also uh, find me relatively regularly. I believe I'm recording something tomorrow night too on the, where did the road go podcast uh, with all these fine gentlemen that I'm sure you're all familiar with by now. Right on. And
3: your books are on Amazon as well. If, uh, if yes, mm-hmm. went the, the
5: easy route. <laughs> yes. Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, hardback paperback and uh, Kindle. Awesome. Very good. Well,
3: thanks for coming on Josh. My pleasure. My pleasure, Tim. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, bye. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Darkhollerarts.com Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more.
4: Bye. And spread the cards Who is listening The mist and cloud Where shall I find flows in holy spring under sky and over me. Who is listening? Walking south. Where shall I find